Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. I'm Nick Seipel. Today, Motley Fool contributor Lou Whiteman joins me to take a look at some aerospace stocks that are flying under the radar. Lou, welcome back on the podcast. Glad to be here. Yeah, great to have you here. Uh, we, we originally planned to maybe do this show last week, uh, but you had a little bit of a busy week. Yeah, yeah. I got to find out the fun of a 100-year-old uh, cast iron pipe leading out to the sewer and uh, what that means for for homeowners and uh, un- unplanned bills. So yeah, no, I, I was spending money, not making money most of <laughs> last week. Yeah, well, when you, when you go shopping for houses, you're typically looking at the stuff that's above the ground, and that's really what you fall in love with. Little do you know, you also are buying all that stuff underneath the ground, and sometimes that comes back to bite you. Hopefully, all the home uh, home improvement work is done, uh, but but we'll see how it goes. Hopefully, yes. Yeah, thanks for joining me there next. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> all I want is flushing toilets. Is that too much to ask? <laughs> that, that is a very important, that's a very important uh, uh, task. All right. Uh, so we'll be getting into our, our, our main topic for, for the show. Going to talk about aerospace stocks. That comes in response to an email from our listener, Alan, who wrote us at industryfocus at fool.com. He says, I began working at Alcoa Helmet Castings in 2006. They acquired several companies to bolster their share in the aerospace market. This was then spun off into Arconic a few years later. Now, in 2021, we find ourselves spun off again into Helmet Aerospace. At the low point of the pandemic, our sales were cut nearly in half. Today, we are back to pre pandemic levels. This is just the plan I work in making turbine blades for jet engines. Said he's like our thoughts on the Broado aerospace segment and outlooks going forward. Says P.S. He's kept all of his stocks and they've all done well. Uh, so, uh, you know, speaking about how met this kind of brought brought to mind for me, there's a lot of uh, aerospace stocks that probably don't talk about enough. And uh, but before we get into some of these uh, companies, specifically how we'll start with uh when you look at the Brado aerospace segment at large, Alan asks about the outlook for the Brado aerospace segment going forward. If you had to zoom out, give the 10,000 foot view, if you will, to use a pun, uh, what do you think about the segment today? Yeah, exactly. It's companies that provide you a view from 10,000 feet, right? Uh, broadly, aerospace is both two sides of it, commercial and defense. Uh, commercial is the Boeing, Airbus, the airplanes that take us from point A to point B. And then over defense, it tends to be a very broad definition of, uh, to some extent, the planes, the Air Force. But uh, a lot of times when you hear it used, it's it's just defense companies and, and there are many different things. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a bad couple of years, as we know, because of COVID. However, the future for air travel, especially on the commercial side of it, because most of what we're talking about today is commercial, the future is bright. I mean, this is a world where the the developing world is developing. There's a lot of demand from all ports of the world. Uh, the international trade group uh, still still has a 20-year forecast of uh, you know 10 to 15% annualized growth. Um, Boeing thinks it'll sell, it sees opportunities to sell $9 trillion worth of uh, planes over the next decade. So yeah, COVID has taken it, has, has eaten into this business in the near term, but there is still a lot to be bullish about in terms of commercial aerospace and demand for travel. Yeah, people like to get out of their houses. They like to travel. So to the extent uh, they're allowed to um, and, and feel safe to do so, I think that long-term trend is still intact. And these companies really help service that. I mean, also, you mentioned the defense side. Uh, that's really, you know, aircraft carriers are, are the most important ship these days. Why? Because planes are the most important uh, tool as far as war fighting. So maybe 
taking that 10,000 foot view, let's now maybe zoom in on a few aerospace companies that probably don't get the headlines uh, that uh, a lot of others do. So the first one, Alan mentioned Helmet Aerospace. That's the company that he's connected with. Uh, it gave us the, the prehistory, lots of spins here. What's, what's the pre-story here with this company? This is a fascinating story. And Alan, I'm so happy for you that you're doing well with this because this has been a frustration for so long. Uh, this is, we have to go back about 10 years to Alcoa, the aluminum uh, manufacturer. They are, were very much a commodity company that, that ebbed and flowed with the commodity cycle. Their CEO had the idea of let, let's buy some of the parts that are made with aluminum. Those are, let, I mean, those parts are profitable or not profitable, whether aluminum's at a dollar, a, a dollar or five hundred dollars a, a unit. So this way we can get some of the cyclicality out of their stock. Unfortunately, Alcoa announced this to the world that they were doing this. They they honestly did a poor job overpaying for assets, and then they did almost no work to uh, integrate them or or to to kind of make this into a company. When the stock price didn't improve, Alcoa and Arconic split out. Alcoa went back to being a commodity player, and Arconic was supposed to be finished products. Uh, the CEO that kind of screwed up the initial plan went with Arconic and kind of screwed that up further, if I'm going to be honest. They finally got rid of him. They brought in good management. That management decided, let's spin this out further and just have a aerospace-focused business. The legacy Arconic is now uh, other finished products, a lot of auto. But what is left was this really interesting group of assets that are very important. Helmet makes a lot of the metal parts. We're talking fasteners. We're talking uh, just components, little things that are essential for aircraft, engines, aircraft. It's a great set of assets that was, frankly, mismanaged for the better part of a decade. Uh, Alan, Stuck in there, and 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 yeah, I I think uh, it, it's an interesting story to look at because there was always a gem of a company now, and they finally have a management team that that that's kind of polishing that gem. Right. So so through the through all these spinouts and all these troubles, we finally boiled it down to there's some good stuff left here in in this in this helmet company. What why uh, in particular are these assets so attractive? Is it margins of uh, the recurring nature of their use? What what makes them particularly attractive? It, it, it's a mass production, yeah, and and we'll get to that too. Sort of, kind of the the downside, or the risk to the stock. But yeah, this is about a five billion dollar maker of, like I said, mostly metal components. Uh, a large part of it is what goes into the engine. About about forty percent of the business is commercial aerospace, twenty percent defense, and then they have some energy and other transport. Uh, nearly half of their total sales go into engine parts, which is uh, you know an engine could be definitely the most expensive part of a plane. Uh, you know at the interesting thing about this business, partially because of COVID, it's all aerospace revenue decline as a total portion, but that's also, they've been trying to diversify. The uh, 787 Dreamliner, Boeing's uh, plastic plane, uh, that they, they make a lot of engine parts for that. The Dreamliner has struggled, so too have companies that supply to Dreamliner. So they have been looking to diversify. And actually, I think that the aerospace assets are valuable, but I think there is a lot they can do in other areas, and it's kind of exciting. Uh, they are mostly original equipment. They they aren't as big as in spare parts or the so-called aftermarket as, um, as some of the companies we'll talk about today. So that can... There tends to be more margin pressure on that, but it's also reliable business and steady business, especially when times are good and post-COVID when we're actually making planes and filling orders. 
Yeah, so when you, when you uh, supply these OEM components, would you say the, these customers or these businesses that are on the OEM side may be more subject to cyclicality than the replacement part businesses? They can be, but they can also, too, They you tend to see, yeah, you see both sides of that. You see more of the boom side, too, though. So you have good times when things are up. Uh, the aftermarket tends to be more more steady and more reliable and but and yeah you do have a little bit more of a cyclical play but look there is real long-term demand we mentioned boeing's nine trillion dollar market it's it's uh it, it is a market that ebbs and flows but it's also a great market to be in for the long term yeah and if you look at the stock uh, I, I think the market probably agrees you mentioned how uh 2020 is a challenging time for the stock will post spin it's up about over 150% versus uh, just about 80% for the market. So about doubling performance of the market. What do you make of its performance so far and, and where, it get, where it can go from here? It's an interesting stock. It's not one that I am tempted to buy at this level. I almost bought it way back when during COVID, and I, I really wish I had, because uh, I, you know, I really like the assets. I, it's a reasonable valuation here, about uh, enterprise value about 20 times EBITDA. We're going to talk about a company in a second that is double that. Uh, even a Hexel, maybe a a better comparison because they aren't valued like that. Uh, they, they're even trading a discount to them. Uh, the issue for this business is is that you are in the middle of a complex supply chain, and will you have pricing power? Some of these past managements, which admittedly, again, I don't think they were all stars, but they they complained this was a deflationary business that you're never going to see pricing. Uh, part of that, I. You know, maybe excusing bad performance, but they have a point. Uh, one of their primary competitors is Precision Cast Parts, which is a very well-run company that is now owned by Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, it was always a great company. Now it has Berkshire's assets and uh, resources, and it also doesn't have that quarter-to-quarter -quarter pressure. It's a good company in a tough business. I I think the stock can perform, but I don't know if it's. I, I like other stocks we're going to talk about as overachievers better than than this company right now. Right. So one that's, that may grow may grow with the market, but you don't see it being the star of the class, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. All right. So, so we mentioned earlier how, how it kind of emerged uh, from a, a more complicated business and really boiled down to these really attractive aerospace parts. We might be with this company we're going to talk about now in the earlier parts of that stage is before you, you get the uh, maybe the aerospace parts get boiled out. So so this one is is Ballcorp. What can you tell us about Ballcorp and where they plug into aerospace? Well, Ballcorp, I think most people know them for the uh, iconic mason jars. They are mostly still a maker of soda cans, packaging, things like that. Uh, they have an aerospace unit, though, that dates back to World War II and kind of a need to diversify and, and just kind of a, a real opportunistic management team that, that saw an opportunity and went for it. Uh, aerospace is a small part of what Ball does. It's a big company. It's about 13% of uh, their re of 3.5 billion in revenue in the most recent quarter, but it is a substantial and growing part. The backlog is about three billion dollars, five billion if you count orders that haven't um, that, that that haven't been funded yet, but should come in. Uh, kind of ironic here because you know, uh, given Ball is a soda can maker, uh, this is probably the least metal focused business of the three aerospace we're going to talk about. They they do make some metal parts, but most they are defense, electronics, and space. Uh, they A lot of sensors, a lot of antennas, uh, big testing business, an engineering business. Uh, the last big contract I saw was a $200 million Air Force deal to develop ways to sort of uh, 
foil cyber attacks on uh, on fighter jets. So uh, it's it's an interesting. It's it's always been an opportunistic business. They do very little M and A. You would think that this is a company. It's they're just buying outside of their. You know, if they want to grow outside their core competency, they're going to buy it. But most of their M and A, Ball has been a very acquisitive company, but basically consolidating its core business. A lot of it is organic and just seeing opportunities using the cash they have and um, and investing that cash uh, wisely, I think. It, it's kind of a neat little business that, you know, I mean, for a radar company, it is under the radar, but, it, you know, you don't think of it as an aerospace business, but there is a lot to like there. Right. It's one of these where you have this high-tech uh, space-adjacent company embedded inside this really boring packaging maker like the you don't think of, of soda cans as high tech at all or or mason jars is like the opposite you get that if you want that like farmhouse feel uh in your house go get some ball mason jars um is this a company you think there's a case to be made to, to spin out the aerospace business and get a get a, a, a you know a higher multiple I mean, it's still a relatively small business, so I don't know if the case is there yet. I mean, the stock hasn't been a great performer, let's be honest. I mean, I, I, I looked it up. Uh, the stock is down about 4% year to date. It's the worst performing one we're talking about here. Um, so maybe, but uh, I, I think they would have to grow the business further. Or, I mean, you can also see it, would, for, it wouldn't be very tax efficient, but I, I'm sure if they could find a tax efficient way to sell it, they could they could really get value that way. But um, I, I think I would bet they, they I mean, I, I don't want to compare it to Berkshire Hathaway because it's a very, very different company. But the same idea of generate cash and deploy the cash in attractive areas, I, I think that's a decent strategy, at least for now, for them to try and grow it and see what see what it becomes. Yeah, I think think certainly under the radar. It's hard for me to get as excited about the the maybe packaging business um, as you can for for aerospace. But it is one that you know if 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 these assets ever got gobbled up, if I ever saw a headline that said you know X Y Z aerospace company acquires balls uh, balls aerospace assets, or if you saw this get spun out, uh, it would get my antennas up. So one that I think is worth uh, you know being aware of and having on your radar at least to a certain extent. Uh, let's go now to the third company uh, we're going to talk about today. That's Hycos. We talked about how Helmet Aerospace addresses the OEM market, the new parts. Heiko, other side of the market. Yeah, yeah. So this is by far the all-star of these companies. Uh, you know, this is a diversified manufacturer, and it's sort of a family-run business, for better or for worse. Uh, Lawrence Mendelson is the CEO. He acquired the company uh, decades ago. Uh, he still runs it, but his two sons are co-presidents. The family owns 15% or more of the stock, dual class, so it's higher ownership. But wow, has this been a performer. It was the top performing aerospace and defense stock of the last decade, up 1,200%, uh, continues to do well. Uh, it's best known, as you say, for its aerospace, in particular spare parts, but it also has significant other businesses. About half of sales come from outside of commercial aerospace. Some of that's defense, but a lot of it is electronical components in other industrial. They were probably the best performing aerospace stock during COVID because in part they have a medical device business. They don't make devices, but they make a lot of the, the electronics that go into them. So parts of their business actually held up real well and saw demand rise during COVID, which was kind of an interesting moment. Uh, they are very similar to a company they're often compared to and that I've talked about a lot, a company Transdime, focused on the aftermarket. And what they do is they look for opportunities, especially through acquisitions, to find businesses that are both necessary for these planes to operate, but also hard to commoditize because either they're patent protected or it's too specialized to really uh, 
you know, just run off an assembly line. Uh, it is a very, very lucrative niche when you find it. Um, this is a company, as I said, it's it's done real well over the last decade or so. Uh, they they sort of underwhelmed with their most recent earnings. They only beat because of tax benefits. Their operations were light, and they sort of sounded the alarm that maybe uh, investors are too excited about the recovery and what they've done. But uh, as a long-term performer going past the blow-by-blow, blow, it's hard it's hard to complain about what Heiko's been able to do. Yeah, you talk about the, the really strong performance uh, that Heiko has, focusing on all these these niche products, same basic strategy as Transdime. A question I always have with these is, you know, they've been running this roll-up strategy for the better part of a decade. Like, how much more juice is there in, in this strategy? Like, how many of these small types of part manufacturers are there out there uh, for these companies to keep growing and, and acquiring? So, yeah, I, I think that's a fair criticism. You've seen Transdime has gone to much bigger deal. What, what Transdime has started to do, with they attempted to buy Megat, they've just backed off of that, but uh, they bought another British company where they buy whole companies and just uh, spin off what they don't want or sell what they don't want. Because, yeah, a lot of these have been rolled up, but there are opportunities. I, I, I think a bigger concern is is that as, as engineering improves and newer models, you have more uniform parts and you have... You know, they, Boeing and Airbus are always trying to commoditize their supply chains the best they can to keep it low cost. So there are more opportunities on the planes that are being retired now than their planes being introduced to service. But uh, there is still a lot of demand out there. I mean, the global air fleet is massive, and there is growth to be had for the foreseeable future, just doing what they do with opportunities, mostly carve-outs of other businesses um, that are out there. But no, I mean, yeah, it, it, I, I think, to your point, it, it's fair to say some of the lowest hanging fruit has definitely been picked. Yes. Yeah, so, so when you look at, at the stock today, what do you make of evaluation and then future opportunity for investors? So the stock's flat on the year. And I think part of that is because, as I said, it didn't fall as much during COVID and it was an early beneficiary. We all knew, even as air travel was going to slowly resume, that it was going to be airlines weren't going to be buying new planes. So the spare part business came back faster to new equipment. Uh, you know, this is a best of breed company. We talked earlier about valuation. This is the stock that is double what Halmet's trading, about enterprise value 40 times EBITDA. Uh, you know, that's that's even higher than Transdime, which is about 27 times. Uh, the family ownership thing has always sort of gotten me a little. I mean, I, I like it skin in the game and I like parts of it, but you know, the father sons thing, I, 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 I wouldn't sell this if I owned it. I've always favored Transdime and I, and I still do. I, I, I just, I like that just kind of parts of the model better, but look, Heiko is a solid performer that has a track record of delivering. And I see no reason to think that that's going to stop anytime soon. Right, and I guess, I guess family gives you a certain stability, and you know that we're going to keep the same strategy in place, and and all those sorts of things. I, so you mentioned that this huge multiple difference you see between the aftermarket part makers, and and you know you mentioned Halmet, the OEM makers. Why? Why such a big a big valuation gap? Well, to some extent, as I said, like the new part, the, the the manufacturers are trying to commoditize their supply chain. So, and I mean, they are buying in bulk a lot. Not everything. There are still some opportunities, and because some parts are just specialized, you can do patents. But by and large, the newer planes with the bulk orders of new manufacturers versus legacy planes where the spare parts are harder to source. Uh, you know. It, also, part of it is is that the just-in-time inventory. Uh, some of these parts, you may only, if you're Delta Airlines or something, you may only need this part 
20 times a year to fix an engine, but you darn well better have it that day if you need it. And so that is, I mean, part of trans, what the, the beauty of Transdime is it's, it's a logistical play or its ability to meet those needs. And, you know, I mean, people have been talking forever about uh, Transdime routinely does 40% plus margins. People have been saying forever that's not sustainable. And the truth is the reason it is sustainable is because the customer sees value in what they are getting. And um, yeah, so I mean, you know, it, it's not a perfect formula. You can't just buy anything, but it has worked really well over the years. And there are, especially with the makeup of the airlines right now and with them leaning on their existing fleets, there is a lot of opportunity for the foreseeable future. Yeah, that, that just-in-time inventory report really is it's the double underline for me, why you have so much more pricing power in this industry. Because I don't know if you're like me, but I've been stuck at an airport terminal because they said there were maintenance issues, and I would pay whatever amount of money it costs to get me on that plane faster. And don't you know, uh, you know, any of these airline companies are tired of hearing the customer complaints as well, and they'll pay Transdime whatever it costs or, or Heiko or any of these aftermarket folks to get that product as quick as they possibly can. And uh, that delivery comes at a premium. Absolutely. Airlines make money when their planes are moving. Yes. Facts. Uh, yeah. Okay, so we, we've talked about a few under the radar companies. Uh, so if, if you're a, a you know companies you can have under your radar, maybe uh, are potential investments for you. But if you're someone who doesn't want to look under the radar, you want to stay above the radar and just pick a, a company that just gives you a comfortable exposure to aerospace for you. What would be your recommendation for a beginning investor or, or the stock that would come to mind, top of mind for you? I've I've already spoiled it, but uh, Transdime for me. If if you own one aerospace, commercial aerospace stock, Transdime is the one to own. Uh, it's not cheap, although as I said, it's not as expensive as as some. Uh, but uh, it is just I I love the track record. I love they've kind of been bruised because of their debt, but I think they're they're dealing with that, especially now if they're not going to buy Megat. And uh, they are constant criticism because people look at the margins they get and complain that they're ripping off the Pentagon. And alas, they don't get those margins on the Pentagon side. But uh, it, it, it's sort of a battleground stock. So you sort of get it at a discount to Heiko. And I just, I love this company. And if you want exposure to commercial aerospace, I think that that is your one-stop shop. Lou, always love having you on the podcast. Alan, I hope we answered your question. But if not, we'll uh, have Lou on again sometime soon to dig into another niche in aerospace. Till then, Lou, thanks for joining me. Always a pleasure. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for mixing the show. For Lou Whiteman, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Thank you.